You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. This episode is brought to you by Palo Alto Networks, the leader in cybersecurity. As AI-driven attacks increase, organizations can't afford to have network security that's stuck in the past. Discover how Palo Alto Networks can help you predict what's coming and proactively secure against it with a zero-trust, AI-powered network security platform built to secure whatever, whenever, wherever. To learn more, visit paloaltonetworks.com slash network security platform. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the CyberWire's Research Saturday. I'm Dave Bittner, and this is our weekly conversation with researchers and analysts tracking down the threats and vulnerabilities, solving some of the hard problems and protecting ourselves in a rapidly evolving cyberspace. Thanks for joining us. hunting around mostly for compromises of uh, Windows library files. Um, that's when we stumbled upon a trojanized ULAPI DLL file. So um, I would say in a nutshell, this is kind of a logging library that is loaded by a few Windows services when started. Our guests today are Alexander Milankowski and Juan Andres Gerosade from Sentinel-1's Sentinel Labs. They're sharing their work, Sandman APT, a mystery group targeting telcos with a Luajit toolkit. So we noticed this and then examined the file in, in more detail um, and saw the implementation of a rather intric- intricate, rather complex staging mechanism. That's Alexander Milankowski that delivers the backdoor, which we uh, then named Luadrim. And this was what kicked off our deeper investigation in this threat activity overall, I would say. Juan, anything to add to that? Well, uh, I have to say, you know, after Metador and, and Tainted Love and some of the other stuff that we've worked on recently, uh, we have been paying a lot more attention to the telco space. Uh, as far as we can see, it looks like there's possibly four to five uh, different advanced but not very well attributed threat actors that seem to be operating primarily in telcos around the world. Um, and it's something that's really caught our attention and we've been trying to get our, you know, uh, wrap our heads around and, and, and keep some sort of situational awareness over. Well, let's dig in here. Uh, why don't we start off with a description of Sandman themselves? Uh, what do we know about this organization? Right. When looking at this threat cluster overall, um, I would say that the use of, of the Begda, the Lua Dream, which is a modular Lua-based uh, Begda, is what is really unique about the Sandman activity from our perspective, at least. Um, the thing is that Lua-based modular Begdos like Lua Dream have been observed, I would say, relatively rarely in the threat landscape. And when observed, they were rather in the context of advanced APTs, which were historically considered Western or Western-aligned. Uh, there is a rather interesting historical context uh, on the use of Lua, which uh, Juan has been researching in greater detail. Juan, you want to fill us in there? Sure. So, um, 
basically the, the subtext here that I think is never sort of plainly stated is that the combination of C++ and Lua for malware toolkits has always been considered a bit of a uh, telltale sign of Western operations. Uh, you know, Western sort of broadly defined. But if you think about it, right, the, the history of it is Flame, Flame 2, Project Sauron, uh, Evil Bunny from Animal Farm. These are all operations that have generally been sort of considered Western aligned, whether it's, you know, US, Israel, France, et cetera. Uh, so a lot of folks will look at, you know, folks in the know will look at a, a new piece of malware that's C++ and Lua and immediately sort of assume that this is a case of blue on blue or some kind of, you know, the, the kind of operations that you might not be particularly against, right? That is something that we've been profiling a great deal and sort of working on, uh, A, to like understand sort of that history of development, but B, because we're starting to get the sense that that is no longer the case. Uh, we understand sort of the importance of that paradigm, why it's been useful, uh, it is actually fascinating as far as the development of the malware itself goes. But I think more importantly, we're starting to see those techniques trickle down to other threat actors that are obviously not Western aligned. You know, something to do with, with Sandman is they're attacking telcos in Western Europe. So, you know, we're, we're beyond that point uh, where we can just say, look, this is only something that our boys do or that friendly govs do, if, if you consider such a thing but rather that we need to kind of open our aperture and accept that sort of the cat's out of the bag and, and we're seeing different teams use this quite nefariously. I can't help wondering, I mean, do you suppose this is a case of uh, imitation is the sincerest form of flattery or, or could it go so far as to be intentional misdirection? Uh, I mean, I think there's a variety of, of things to consider there, right? There's, there's imitation as a form of flattery, right? This stuff is not uh, quite so private anymore since the threat Intel space got their hands on it as early as 2012. It's been getting reported. Uh, there's also a technical end to it, right? Uh, I think folks who've never done uh, C++ development or, or Lua uh, don't understand why Lua is more important or more useful than any other scripting language, let's say Python, but rather... If you pay attention to Lua, it, it is actually very, very special. It's a, a virtual machine. It's running on a virtual machine that's written in, in, in C uh, that can be compiled in a very small form factor directly into a C++ code base. And when you look at how complex uh, some of these pieces of C++ code are, and you consider that you would, in theory, have to recompile this whole thing if there's ever an error, if you ever want to... Uh, inject new functionality, et cetera, Lua actually becomes this really valuable bridge where you can basically toss scripts into this uh, running VM inside of an existing code base, and you can fix your malware on the fly without having to replace it, without having to recompile it. I think that's where a lot of sort of the, the emphasis and the magic and, and the preference for it has come from. Uh, when you look at the new operations, though, the question is, are they imitating it? Are we looking at a Project Raven-style uh, case where the folks who knew from over here have decided to go somewhere else? Or have, you know, just other C++ development gurus decided that this is also a good way to go about solving their problems? Well, well let's dig into some of the details here. Uh, how does Sandman go about doing the things that they do? You mentioned that they, they seem to be targeting telcos. 
Yeah, sure. So just to circle back on Sandman and that particular cluster. So I mentioned already the use of Lua as something that distinguishes this cluster from other activities that we've been observing recently. Other than that, uh, in addition to deploying Lua Dream, the threat actors used, um, I'd say, primarily open source, leaving of the land tooling uh, to steal credentials, move laterally within the victim networks and so on. Regarding victimology, we observed that threat actor targeting primarily telcos in the Middle East, Western Europe, as Jax mentioned, and South Asia. We, but also some industry partners, have also observed Sandman, Sandman's presence in government entities. This was mostly in South Asia. Uh, so to summarize in a nutshell, I would say telcos and government entities seem to be among, at this point at least, the top coveted target by, uh, by this threat actor. Uh, we're still working um, on some reliable attribution indicators uh, on this threat actor, so stay, stay tuned on that front. So it's a mm. small teaser from our side. Uh, that being said, the locations and sector of the victims may relate to the geopolitical interest of whatever nation state is uh, backing or even hiring the Sandman TA. And, and what, what specifically does it seem as though they're after here? Right. I mean, the Sandman clearly has cyber espionage motivations, right? The victimology, the TTPs that we observe, the use malware, of course, Lua Dream are, are very indicative of this. For example, in one instance, we observed the threat actors have been present in some environments for months and then suddenly were strategically moving to workstation of managerial personnel, right? And in general, coming back to the victimology and telcos in particular, I would say that they are in general a very attractive target to cyber espionage TS um, overall. So they provide they provide them access to things like data, of course, like telcos host a lot of customer and employee private or communication data as well. Uh, data on proprietary communication technologies, of course, um, infrastructure. So they have large infrastructures, right? Often syndicated, and intrusion in telcos can also be used for downstream compromises. Some cases to associated organizations. With over 8,000 threat hunters analyzing over 65 trillion signals daily, Microsoft works tirelessly with the federal government to keep our nation's data secure. This 30-plus year partnership is driving mission innovation that is secure by design. Whether optimizing your existing defenses or tackling advanced threats with AI, Microsoft gives you the intelligence and the automation you need to defend at mission scale. Let's work together to stay ahead of emerging threats and secure your mission anywhere. Learn more at aka.ms slash fedcyber. That's aka.ms slash fedcyber. What are you all seeing in terms of their own infrastructure here? You know, things like command and control. Right. So um, actually, this aspect was um, one of the more interesting things in our research, I would say. So I will just start from high level. Rather, like at this point, we don't really play Sandman among the most sophisticated APT groups out there. Uh, so this is mostly because of the lack of clear C2 infrastructure segmentation that we observed. So I would say this is something that you just don't see among the absolute uh, pros in the game. Uh, Jax, of course, can can add to that. But that being said, we observed uh, 
discrepancy between the sophistication of Sandman from an operational perspective, especially regarding its C2 infrastructure and LuaDream or the malware itself. So this led us to think about potential involvement of a third-party vendor that is supplying these operational groups or multiple operational group, groups with, with malware. Hmm. So this is an interesting topic that um, we certainly plan to explore in yeah. greater detail in the future. Jags, do you have any insights on that part of it? Well, um, it's sort of a, it's an interestingly opaque sort of space, right? We see these different variations when it comes to infrastructure. We see also the way that they move inside of the network. I'll say that, you know, we've been harboring some suspicions about what actors uh, this may relate to. Part of the problem with sort of figuring out entirely new uh, or, or seemingly new clusters of activity is that, uh, you know, just the same as the attackers have developed, you have to come to uh, this moment of questioning, like, is this somebody we've seen before and we just don't recognize their new toolkit? Or um, are we dealing with an entirely new cluster of activity that we just had not uh, caught on to before? And I think in many ways with something like Sandman, it, it's uh, it's still a bit of an open question. I think it's very difficult to diagnose uh, or to just sort of figure out from afar if you're dealing with a, a mercenary group, which is sort of the more complicated end of this because you can't rely on the usual heuristics of, well, who do they attack? Where do they seem to come from? What is their language? What is their time zone? Okay, well, that should give us enough to, to surmise uh, who we may be dealing with when it comes to somebody that's sort of potentially a commercial provider for a variety of groups. You don't get to have those sorts of simple heuristics. So it's a, it's a very complex situation where we look at this, we look at Metador, which we worked on last year. You look at publications like things like Light Basin that other folks have been looking into. And there's this broad question of just how many folks are operating in the dedicated telco space. Uh, how much awareness do they have about how these places are set up? And how well are they doing that they seem to be gaining quite the, a persistent foothold in a lot of places. And how exactly are they getting in? What is the initial access here? Well, we are still analyzing available um, telemetry data, basically trying to determine the concrete um, initial intrusion vector. In general, I would say that although we lack concrete indicators at this time, the current suspects um, are the usual. So we are talking about vulnerability exploitation, maybe social engineering phishing attacks. Maybe even purchasing access from initial access brokers, that's something that we relatively often see um, as well. Part of the difficulty in the situation, the reason that I mentioned that there's a certain amount of sort of familiarity with their uh, victim environment is in the case of Sandman in particular, we were seeing them what appeared to be moving laterally across one of the victim networks in such a way as to avoid machines that uh, the Sentinel-1 agent had been deployed to. So you can see sort of where they're trying to abuse a certain amount of like this sort of blind spot that comes with things that we can't help, right? If, if uh, uh, you know, a certain enterprise is only deployed to 60% of their endpoints or 80% of their endpoints, then you do have sort of this dark matter that comes with that other side of the house that's sort of unprotected, un uninspected. And when they accidentally tripped onto a machine that had our product on it, that's when... Alex latches onto it and we start to figure out, oh, they've actually been hopping around the network very, very carefully trying to avoid us. So uh, there's definitely a certain, you know, th there's a reason that this is such a, you know, complex endeavor, interesting endeavor, 
and, and it does go hand in hand with the fact that you're you're dealing with sort of a sentient enemy that is adapting uh, to what you do just as much as we're adapting to them. I mean, does that imply that, that there's a certain amount of scouting that they're doing ahead of time? Absolutely. There's a there's a great deal of scouting. What we also observed, at least on those endpoints where we had telemetry on uh, about the activities, we definitely also saw reconnaissance um, activities as well, right? So this was mainly for two purposes, and the second we can only assume, right? The first was to what workstation they should move so they should deploy their backdoors, and the second one was probably involving scouting for, for defensive mechanisms, right, including our own agent. So what are your recommendations here? I mean, for, for organizations who think they may be of interest to this group, what are the best practices here to keep them out? So I will start relating uh, back to the, to the general suspected initial intrusion vectors and uh, Jackson probably wrap it up. So at this point, uh, when we are still trying to determine the exact initial intrusion vectors, I would say protection measures against the usual suspects come to mind. Uh, this, um, this also relates to what we usually observe if we take and survey the whole threat landscape targeting telcos. So this is mostly phishing and social engineering awareness, of course, including proper examination of emails that originate from untrusted sources. Vulnerability management, of course, uh, especially on internet exposed services or devices. Deployment of modern detection systems. So Jax also um, mentioned these uh, characteristics of the characteristic of the Sandman cluster, where they were hoping on workstations where our system was not present on, and deployment of this system, especially on mission critical endpoints or endpoints that store sensitive data. You know, there's recommendations that we can and should give for the telco space uh, and sort of the gov space in particular, as as Alex mentioned. But I'd also like to point out that. Part of the, the pain and difficulty of seeing threat actors be successful on telcos is that the implication here is that these are enabler operations. They are meant to enable further collection downstream to other customers, uh, to folks, you know, using phones, using internet, uh, being provided by these different, uh, you know, telco providers. And the, the difficulty there is, yeah, we can talk about how a telco could defend itself better. Uh, but we also have this general concern that comes with the fact that any aspect of security or privacy that is contingent on the good defense of a telco is uh, in many ways sort of defeated categorically by the lack of defense within some of these organizations or, you know, just by, by falling prey in some ways, as happens to everybody. In particular, what I have in mind is, you know, we're talking about super advanced very capable threat actors going into telcos and doing special things. Uh, but I think we've also, we're, we're also living at a time where um, you have actors like Lapsus or Starfraud or, or, or the Com in general, uh, where I don't think anybody would put them in a high level of sophistication, but they're also proving just how porous the telco space can be. So when you're talking about giving recommendations for, for folks in general, I mean, the one thing that we need to desperately run away from is uh, two-factor via SMS. Uh, anything that has to do with account verification that requires entirely on a phone number uh, is something that, that, you know, we just have to abandon categorically at this point and move to more robust solutions. Um, and then we can have more interesting conversations about what's happening with espionage enabler ops at telcos.
Our thanks to Alexander Milinkowski and Juan Andres Gerosade from Sentinel One's Sentinel Labs for joining us. The research is titled Sandman APT, a mystery group targeting telcos with a Luajit toolkit. We'll have a link in the show notes. Everybody, I want to take a few minutes here and talk about our sponsor, Splunk. You know, you need to keep operations humming around the clock, but potential disruptions are everywhere. Splunk helps you predict problems and find and fix issues fast so you can reduce risk and ditch downtime. The world's largest enterprises rely on Splunk's unified security and observability platform to become more efficient, resilient, and innovative. With Splunk, you can react quickly, evolve faster, and be ready for anything. Stay ahead of disruptions. Learn more at splunk.com slash resilience. The Cyberwire Research Saturday podcast is a production of N2K Networks, proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. This episode was produced by Liz Irvin and senior producer Jennifer Iben. Our mixer is Elliot Peltzman. Our executive editor is Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.